1901, a woman by the name of Annie Taylor climbed into a barrel so that she could ride that barrel over Niagara Falls, the first person to do so. The reason for her crazy endeavor? She was struggling to make ends meet, and she was hoping for fame and financial security. It's Ryan from United Faith Mortgage, a faith and family mortgage team that tries to improve your financial outlook without having to ship you over a 170-foot waterfall. Our mortgage team happens to be an arm of a bigger company who is a direct lender, which means our company gets to use its own money and make its own decisions within its own walls. There's no middleman. This advantage often allows us to get you a better rate, which can save you monthly and lifelong money through a refinance, or help you with a cash-out refinance, cashing out some of your home's equity to use for life. We are United Faith Mortgage. United Faith Mortgage is a DBA of United Mortgage Corp. 25 Melville Park Road, Melville, New York. Licensed mortgage banker. For all licensing information, go to nmlsconsumeraccess.org. Corporate NMLS number 1330. Equal housing lender. Not licensed in Alaska, Hawaii, Georgia, Massachusetts, North Dakota, South Dakota, and Utah. Good morning, my friend. You're listening to Mornings with Tom and Tobby, and you're in for a treat and for a ride and for an opportunity for God to touch your heart because Ray Comfort is joining us. He's the founder and CEO of Living Waters and the best-selling author of more than 100 books. His 101st book did not do very well, but we're hoping for the best with this one. It's called Why Jesus? And Ray, it's great to have you back with us on Mornings with Tom and Tobby. It's good to be here, Tom. Thank you. Now, um... I just want to read a little bit. One of the neat things I, I, I like to do about books is just go ahead and read the, the promotional things that it says on the very back of them. So I just wanted to start with this because I wholeheartedly agree with the statement. It says the world offers countless choices for how to live and who to follow. And with each conflicting option, we're often left uncertain and confused in our search for truth and meaning. And I think that is like kind of our society in a nutshell. I think that's one of the reasons it's important to point people to Jesus. Yeah, the Bible uses the word in the book of Acts, groping. Paul, when he addressed the Athenians, he said, you're groping. And we are like blind men before we come to Christ. The Bible says our understanding is darkened. We're alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that's in us because of the blindness of their hearts, the Bible says. And so we need to lead people to the one who said, I'm the light of the world. He that follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. And I compare Jesus to other teachers in history, like we'd compare noonday sun with a flashlight without batteries. <laughs> There's absolutely no comparison whatsoever. Never a man spoke like this man said. And the Bible says of him, Jesus Christ has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. That's either true or it's not, because it's the most fantastic statement in the truest sense of the word. Jesus has abolished death. Look, undertakers are still having a revival. Ten out of ten die. What does it mean? It simply means that God in the Old Testament promised he would destroy death, and in the New Testament it tells us how he did it. And when you say that to an atheist, it changes everything. I meet atheists regularly. I go to the local college twice a day on my electric bike with my dog wearing sunglasses, and strangers come up to us and say, I love your dog. And I said, YouTube channel, 272 million views. We ask people if they think there's an afterlife. Do you think there's an afterlife? Oh, no, I'm an atheist. I don't believe in God. So oh, you really believe the scientific impossibility that nothing created everything? Let me tell you what the Bible says. And then I tell them that little phrase. The Old Testament, in the Old Testament, God promised he would destroy death. And then in the New Testament, we're told how he does it, how he did it. And I say... 
Does that interest you? And he was an atheist one minute ago, but his ears are perking forward because he's not a dog or a horse or a cat or a cow. He's a human being created in the image of God, and God has written eternity upon his heart. And so there's something in him that says, I don't want to die, that causes a curiosity factor, which opens the heart for the gospel. So, yeah, there's nobody like Jesus. No one said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he dies, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. His name is Ray Comfort, and he is pointing you directly to the throne room today. And there is no one like Jesus, those of us who are listening right now, who have understood the transformation that happens when you actually come into a relationship with him, understand that at a, at a, at a deep level, hopefully it'll be a deeper level as we continue. But something about us, Ray, I don't know what it is about our culture, but we are unwilling to share the good news of Jesus Christ, the one who destroyed death. Um, I don't know what it is about us, why we're not sharing as much as we do. You do it, and you do it as if it's breathing. Was it always that easy for you to share Christ? It's never been easy. Every Zacchaeus, turn, every Zacchaeus turns into a Goliath the minute I look at him. <laughs> I get terrified. Um, but there's a couple of key factors that come in that help me uh, deal with my fears. One is the opening sentence. How do you start talking to a complete stranger about God? Uh, nice day. Guess who made the day? God. Um, it's awkward for all of us. But what I do is I use one question that's sure taken Goliath down to Zacchaeus, and it's this. Do you think there's an afterlife? And let me tell you how I use it. Let's say there's a plumber comes into our ministry and he's fixing something in the kitchen. And I don't know the guys. Walk up and say, hey, how you doing? My name's Ray. What's your name? He says, Tom. And I say, Tom, do you think there's an afterlife? I didn't wait for two years. I just straight away said, do you think there's an afterlife? And Tom stops work and says, wow, that's the big question. Do you think about it much, Tom? He says, oh, all the time. And his all the time just dissipated my fears. Everybody thinks about the issue of life and death. When I interview students each day, often I'll just begin an interview with, are you afraid of dying? And they look at me and say, a little bit. I say, a little bit? Are you kidding? It's horrific. It's terrifying. It's haunting. And you see their eyes begin to process information. And I know what they're thinking. They're thinking, how did this guy know that I'm scared of dying? I haven't told mom or dad. I haven't told my boyfriend or girlfriend. Nobody knows except me that this thought of death haunts me every day. And the reason I know is because Hebrews 2, verse 14, 15 says, and this is from the Amplified Bible, so let me say it a little louder. Every human being is haunted by the fear of death all their lifetime. And so I tap into that. Uh, Jesus tapped into that when he uh, spoke to the woman at the well. Think of, a, think of a, a waitress in a restaurant. She looks up. Three businessmen have come in. They're wearing black suits and little cases. They're obviously wheeling and dealing millions of dollars. Is she intimidated? Nope. She just walks up and says, can I take your order? She just butts in mid-sentence. Why is she so bold? It's because she knows she has what they want. <laughs> they're there for food, and that's why she's bold. And we have what this world wants. Every single sane human being says in their heart, oh, I don't want to die. They think we're, they think we're religious. It's not a religious bone in my body. We've found everlasting life. We have what this world wants. And if only they knew what we had. And so we've got to be bold. And that's why Jesus said to the woman at the well, if you knew who it was that was speaking to you, you'd ask of him and he'd give you living water. So 
the knowledge that we have what this world wants should make us bold. And then there were two other things that helped me deal with my fears. One is I address the conscience and the other is the will to live. The conscience is like a judge in the courtroom of the mind. It agrees with the commandments. And that's why I say to atheists and say, I believe in evolution. I say, well, tell me, why did evolution give us a conscience? And why does the conscience agree with those 10 commandments? You shall not steal, you shall not lie, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not blaspheme God's name, you shall not kill. Why is it? And they have no idea. And I say, it's because you're a human being made in God's image. And God has written his law upon your heart. And so I don't stay with the intellect for too long because the intellect is the place of argument. Romans 8 verse 7 says the carnal mind is enmity against God. It's in a state of hostility towards God. That's why they use God's name as a cuss word, mm. God's holy name. Only one name in history has been used as a cuss word, Jesus Christ. Nobody else, not Hitler, not Muhammad. God forbid you get murdered for that. But only one name, and it's because we're in a state of hostility towards God because of his moral government. The carnal mind is enmity against God. It is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So I move away from the carnal mind, as Jesus did with the rich young ruler, and just say, do you think you're a good person? That's moved directly to the conscience. Then I say, remember Jesus said to the rich young ruler, you know the commandments. So I say, you know the commandments. They're written on your heart. You've got a conscience. How many lies do you think you've told? Take them through the commandments to show them God's standard of righteousness, and that prepares their heart for grace so they can understand the cross. Okay. You picked a great time to listen to Mornings with Tom and Tabby. It's time for a conversation to continue with Ray Comfort, and he's written over 100 books, but it's all about pointing people to Jesus. He does it in conversations. He does it with atheists, with people that uh, you intentionally get involved in conversations about, Ray. And uh, you gave us an, a really, I'll call it an easy in. You don't kind of wait for that awkward, uh, yeah, really beautiful day. Wow. How about them clouds, huh? You ask a question that everybody wrestles with, even if they don't talk about it. And it's, do you believe there's an afterlife? Now, as long as you've been doing that, did you start with that one or over the course of time, that was a way to get into the conversation, start pointing people to the conversation we all really want to have? I started that one about uh, 20 years ago. I heard a friend say, to, he would say to people, what's on the other side? And I thought, how can I change it to comfortize it? So I just changed it a little bit. Um, but I, I've wrestled with, I, I've sat on planes. I've been on 2,000 flights. So I've sat next to people on planes and been terrified. Let me tell you what I pray or what I used to pray if there was an empty seat beside me. I'd pray for the person that was going to sit in it. And no kidding, Tom, this is what I'd pray. Dear God, don't let them show up. I really mean that's what I would pray. <laughs> let there be an empty seat next to me so I don't have to share my faith with a stranger. That was my inner subconscious cry. But I've learned that if I say, do you think there's an afterlife? I don't mention Jesus, God, heaven, hell, sin, righteousness, judgment. All these things make them and us a little uncomfortable. I just ask for their opinion. Do you think there's an afterlife? And you can do this with Uncle Fred at, at halftime in the Super Bowl. He's anti-Christian. He's always groaning about hypocrites in the church. So you can just say, Uncle Fred, I've got a question for you. Do you think there's an afterlife? That's not going to offend him. It's going to perk up his ego a little bit. You want his opinion. And that's it. just let him talk. And then just say, do you think heaven exists? And do you think, you know, you've sinned against God? How are you going to do on Judgment Day? 
It's just a matter of practice. Practice makes perfect. You know, you can look at me and say, oh, you're, you're an expert. You're, you're, you're gifted. No, it's like saying to a marathon runner who breaks the tape 28 miles or whatever it is, whoa, you are so gifted. He's going to turn to you and say, what are you talking about gifted? I've been running 30 miles a week for six months. I haven't had chocolate or ice cream or anything, white bread or anything that tastes good for months to get myself in this shape. Look at the muscle. That's hard work. I've fallen over. I, I, you know, I've done things that, are, that hurt myself in this training. And so it's not a gift. It's hard work. And it's exactly the same with evangelism. You can look at me and say, oh, you're so gifted. No, no. I put my foot in my mouth many times. I've bruised myself, done things that are wrong, learned through experience, sweat and pain and suffering to get to this point, which is good news because you can get to it too. You just got to apply yourself. You just got to want to do it. You know, I, I talk with a lot of people that say they're Christians. I got to interview them. Do you think there's an afterlife? Oh, yeah, there's heaven and hell. I trust in Jesus. So I put out a little litmus test almost every day. And I say, do you read your Bible daily without fail? And this is what they say. I try to. I say, oh, do you try to eat your food? No, you don't try and eat your food. You eat it because you want to. It's in the priority list up top. I said, do the same thing with your Bible. No Bible, no breakfast, no read, no feed. Be like Job, who said, I've esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. So being a Christian is applying yourself as a disciple, a disciplined person. And it's exactly the same with evangelism. You have a Gethsemane experience where you sweat drops of blood at the thought of talking to strangers. And then you get up and say, not my will, but yours be done. I'm going to deny myself. I'm not going to be worried about myself. And often I'll point to a firefighter. Think of a firefighter who arrives at a fire. Fifth story, there's a woman with her two children leaning out of a window with flames behind them. And you know they're going to be dead in about three or four minutes. So what do you do? Oh, oh 60-foot ladder. I have to get up there and grab two kids from a woman who's screaming with flames and noise. I'll go home and be with my wife, just watch an old black and white movie. No, he can't do that because he's a firefighter. So he overcomes those fears by not thinking of it himself, but by thinking of that woman and her terrible fate and those two kids. And that's what the Bible likens evangelism to in the book of Jude. Others, having compassion, that's the key, save with fear, pulling them from the fire, hating in the garment spotted by the flesh. So being a Christian, for me, means ignoring my fears. Every time I go to get on my electric bike to go to the cottage, twice a day, I've got negative thoughts. Ah, oh, stay home, relax, have a snooze. I take no notice because I'm not my own. I'm bought with a price. <clears throat> I ignore my fears because I'm thinking of the fate of the ungodly. And that's the key to overcoming your fears. His name is Ray Comfort, and his latest book is called Why Jesus Answering Life's Most Important Questions. And uh, Ray, thank you so much for just sharing with us just the discipline of being a follower of Jesus Christ. I think we kind of eschew that a little bit. But I'd like to take this in a little different direction because um, there's an event that's coming up in July that the entire world is going to be talking about. And I'm just wondering uh, what you have in store for that. Is there an outreach that's going to be happening to tell people about Jesus? And is there training associated with that? Oh, I'm so glad you asked about that. Last year, we had an outreach in London during the coronation. We put a, we had a million dollar bill or a million pound that we put King Charles's picture on the front. And we sent over teams to London and filmed for a television program. And we printed 16 million of these gospel tracks. And in one day in London and around the world, 22,000 Christians gave out those gospel tracks. So 
We're doing the same thing in Paris. We've printed four different million dollar bill tracks, one for the euro, one for the pound in England, one for Australia, whatever they have dollar, and one for the US dollar. And we're having 12 million printed. And these are available free of charge, no cost, you just pay for the shipping. And we want to encourage people and tell them that 3,000 million people watch the Olympics. Three, that's 3 billion, 3,000 million. This is unprecedented. And people will be thrilled to get this collectible, collectible million dollar pound, a million euro, and it's got the gospel on the back. So people can get these or go to Paris for a conference in Paris and actually be at the Olympics to give out these tracks, which we'll put supply free of charge there, uh, by going to livingwaters.com forward slash Paris, livingwaters.com forward slash Paris.